be, but uh, there's a reason we're going to be there in Acts chapter 2. And I'll get there in just a moment. Uh, history records a story. I don't know all of its accuracy, but the, the, the well-meaning of it is incredible, and it did take place. On June the 18th, 1880, uh, 1815, there was a lookout at Winchester Chapel in uh, England. And as he looked out across the ocean, he was looking for a word back because they were at war with France. And, and uh, the Duke of Wellington had gone to confront Napoleon Bonaparte and just the, the, uh, the battle was ensuing and it took place. And as he looked out there, he saw what he had spotted was a ship out there. And from use of lights, they were able to signal in what had taken place. And then what he got, though, is he's glaring out there and looking out there. All of a sudden, this is what the lights told him. It said, Duke of Wellington defeated. And then a heavy fog set in. And he didn't get the rest of the message. But what he had was Duke of Wellington defeated. And so with that news, he gave the news. And, of course, everybody thought, this is it. It's over. He lost. Duke of Wellington defeated. That's all it could mean. And so they were, they were downhearted. And all of a sudden, though, the fog lifted. And when it lifted, the, the communication was brought forth again. And it said this, Duke of Wellington defeated Napoleon. And all of a sudden, what seemed like despair and hopelessness all of a sudden turned into joy. What they thought was defeat, it turned into victory. You see, on Friday, all of the people, all they thought was Jesus Christ defeated. He is defeated. He is in the grave. We, we, we invested everything here. We, we put all of our life into following after him. And now on Friday, we, we think and we're downcast because the fog has set in and Jesus Christ defeated. But then on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ defeated death and he won. And we know the story. First day of the week, early in the morning, women are going to the, uh, the tomb where Jesus was buried. And when they got there, oh man, there was no guards. The, the stone, which probably weighed a couple of tons, which had closed over the opening of the tomb, the cave there had been totally thrown aside. And when they looked, what do they see? They see that the tomb is empty. And then they are confronted with an angel and they run back to tell the disciples that Christ is not there, but he has risen from the dead. Incredible what had taken place. But what happened after that was, is that over the course of the next 40 days, the resurrected Christ showed himself to his apostles, showed himself to other people, showed himself to 500 at one time. And it was incredible just to see how he had displayed. In fact, the the fact of his being alive was there. All these people saw it. But at the end of 40 days, he ascended. He took his apostles, he, he talks to them, and he ascends through the heavens that we know is back into the presence of the Lord. And for the next 10 days, he had told his disciples to go and pray. So they go into an upper room and they begin to pray for the next 10 days. And as they pray, 120 of them are gathered. They, they begin to pray and they pray and they pray and they pray. And at the end of that 10 days, the Holy Spirit just came upon them in such a way, demonstrative ways, that these timid people who were afraid to even go outside, all of a sudden their lives are radically altered and changed by this demonstration of God's power through the Holy Spirit. And what happens is, is that as they are there, they, this continues and a group gathers, which is a, a, the, in, the Bible tells us was in the thousands, multi-thousands had gathered. And Simon Peter, the one who just, uh, we know earlier, had denied he even knew Jesus and had, had followed him at a distance instead of being close, 
He did not even knew Christ. We do know that Christ restored him on the shores of Galilee. But here he is, all of a sudden, this, the one who was so brash has now been humbled, has now been broken. And through that brokenness, the Spirit is able to fill him. And he stands up and he gives the first recorded sermon that he ever gave. Let me tell you this before I get to the sermon. Over 3,000 are going to be saved. It wasn't like it was just some little words that were thrown out there, but it was a radical thing that took place. So what was the message? Why, what was the message that radically transformed 3,000 people all of a sudden at this point? Well, that's what we want to look at today in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 is where we're going to start at. And so I'm going to encourage you to keep your Bibles uh, open. I, I always encourage you to circle things. Every now and then I'll say something that's worth jotting in there. But I, I encourage you today as we look at this, Let's see what God has for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. I gave you all the setup, and now Simon Peter stands up, and this is what he says. Fellow Israelites, so he's talking to his, his religious brothers and sisters here. He says, listen to this. Now, that, that may sound like not much to start with, but what he's saying is, I'm giving you a warning that what I'm about to tell you is you better heed it. You better heed what I'm about to tell you. And he says, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, which sets him apart, it wasn't Jesus of Bethlehem, it wasn't Jesus of Jerusalem, this was the Jesus as they knew him, Jesus of Nazareth, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Let's stop there just a minute. That word accredited doesn't mean a whole lot to me. When I think about it, I think about schools being accredited and and these kind of things. But here's what that means here at this point. It means that the Father sent Jesus. It was his choice to send Jesus. And Jesus was a demonstration. Now, let's look at it this way. If you've been reading any news headlines over the last days, you know there have been some uh, power displays in the world. North Korea, to demonstrate their might, would do something. Yesterday it kind of fizzled on them. But they would demonstrate their might. The U.S. would retaliate with a demonstration. They didn't, they didn't go after people. It was a demonstration of their power. What God has done here is he has set forth Jesus as a demonstration of his incredible power of who he is. This is but a a, a taste of the power that is there. He did signs. He did wonders. He did miracles. This is but a demonstration. Another way of looking at it is for you that have seen the Gladiator movie with Mel Gibson. uh, Not, I mean, Russell Crowe. I got that blown. I'll get to the passion illustration later. Um, but the gladiator with, with Russell Crowe, and you, and you know that he was the, that the gladiators would go out there in front of the emperor and they say, we who are about to die salute you. In other words, they were set apart for a function and they were going to fulfill that no matter if it even cost them their lives. And that was a demonstration to the world about their allegiance. And this is the way Jesus was, he, the son of God, but he was fully flesh and God put him into the world as a demonstration of his power. That's what it means that he was accredited, he was set forth. So you can see the power in the words there. Verse 23. This man was handed over to who? You. He wasn't handed over to this group, but Peter's making a point. He says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Let me draw a point here. First of all, the cross was God's plan. Man fulfilled it, but it was God's plan. He had this plan for salvation of mankind. That's what Jesus fulfilled. But here's what I want you to hear out of this passage. What Peter's getting across is this. 
There wasn't anybody in that group that drove the nails. There wasn't anybody in that group who did the spear. There wasn't anybody in that group who had flogged Jesus. But Peter stood up in front of them and says, and you killed him. Now, wicked men were used, but you killed him. Let me tell you, that's the message for us in this room today. Listen, I know we all want to think we're innocent and cute, but you killed him. You killed him. I killed him. It was my sin that he had to go to the cross for. You killed him. And that's what he's telling them. You killed him. I know wicked men put him on the cross, but it was you and it was me that killed him. Now he's got their attention. And then this is what he says next. He says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Listen, you killed him, but God raised him. And, and there's a word here that I want you to see where it says agony of death. This is a beautiful picture. It literally is referring to the pains a woman goes through in giving birth, birth pains. Now, I don't have a clue what that means. My wife does, and I watched her go through it, and I thought, man, she's tough. Because I couldn't handle it. But it was that kind of pain and agony and travailing that Jesus, the agony of death that was there. So literally it means this, is that the tomb was actually a womb that God was going to birth a new thing through the resurrection of Jesus. That's what it, that's what it means. And Jesus went through that agony of death so that, so that he, he would, and he was raised by God. Now, the next thing that takes place in this passage, we're going to go a little bit farther, is that, is that, that Peter begins to talk about David. They remember David is the great king, and he talks about David. However, he talks about the writings of David. He said David even predicted that this resurrection was going to come. And then we get down to verse 29. Look at this. It says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on, on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Listen, you know, today we get to, we get arguments about, well, he just, he just swooned or he wasn't really dead. They stole his body or they went, the ladies went to the wrong tomb. Everybody tries to come up with these things. Simon Peter is standing for a group of thousands, and he says, listen, we are all witnesses of it. We all know it. There was no doubt. We are all witnesses of this, okay? Verse 33, and he's exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to me, to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so once again, David, David, the greatest king ever, was saying, listen, one is coming someday, and he's, his body's not going to have decay. He's going to be the, the ultimate Messiah. Now, verse 36, we're getting to the crucial, critical point. If you're at that movie and all of a sudden it gets critical, here's where it gets critical. Therefore, because of this, because of everything I've just said to you, let all Israel be assured of this. Be 
completely perfect without doubt this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. There it is again. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In other words, he is the ultimate king. This is who he is. And you crucified him, but he's alive. Now, listen, that may not mean a lot to you. Imagine that you just killed somebody and he came back to life and you're going to stand before him. What would you do? I would tremble. I would think I am toast. I am history. In fact, they did too. Because their next response in the scriptures is this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What can we do? And the word cut to the heart literally means they were stunned into awakeness. We need to be stunned sometimes. We are so dadgum apathetic and complacent. We need the Spirit of God just to stoke us sometimes. And that's what happened here. All of a sudden, they're awakened. They're awakened to the fact that if Jesus is who he says he is and he has risen from the dead, and one day we're going to stand before him, what can we do? See, there's a trembling element to it. It's not, it's not some little, oh, just request. It means, what can I do to get out of this? What can I do? And this is where Simon Peter gives them the answer. And the answer is the same answer today. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent. Turn. It's a military term. You're going one day, one way, you do an about face and go the other way. Quit following after your own flesh. Quit following after the law. It's going to be in, in who Jesus is. That is, is what's going to happen. You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. So let's bring this into 2017, okay? If Peter was standing up in front of us today, he would say, listen, you killed Jesus. You killed Jesus. And he could point back at himself. I killed Jesus. It was, it was my sin. You killed Jesus. But God raised him from the dead. He raised him from the dead. And one day we will all stand before him. What question would you ask? Same thing they would with fear and trembling. What can I do? Repent and be baptized. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same answer today. But I got to thinking about something. I thought, why, why this passage today, Lord? I mean, I could have gone back into any of the Gospels and just talked about, about some of the, the things about the resurrection historically. But I started thinking about it this way. What if it didn't happen? And I thought about for myself personally. If Jesus did not resurrect, would it make any difference? Or we would just keep going through the motions of what we're doing. And so I thought about three things. I thought about, first of all, I, I thought about this. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, my past would still be held against me. Every sin, every depravity, every brokenness, everything about my past, every sin, all of those wages of sin is death, that would still be held against me if Jesus did not resurrect. Because you see, if he just died on a cross and they put him in the ground and that was the end of it, he didn't defeat death, There's, that means he's a liar. Everything he said is a lie. And so all of that stuff about me having forgiveness and eternal life, that's gone. That doesn't exist. I, all I have now is what I can do on this planet in my flesh. That's all I have. And let me tell you, I don't have a chance. I do not have a chance. Neither do you. I know some of you were, 
were good in your past. You think, man, I was a pretty good kid. I was a pretty good teenager. I was a pretty good college student, pretty good this. No, you, you weren't. Just get off of that. You really weren't. You did some good things, but even your good things were like filthy rags compared to the perfection of Christ. And if he did not raise from the dead, you're bound to what it says your flesh can do. And it can do nothing. I thought about this. Some of you were pretty good, and you're thinking, you go to a funeral today. I appreciate, I appreciate our pastors. And I appreciate uh, the funerals of friends that I do because they would not hold it. You go to many funerals today. It's like everybody goes to heaven. You're going to be in a better place. And then you start reading comments. Oh, we're going to be back together one day. They're looking down on me. They're smiling down on me. Pooh. Man, read the Scriptures and no reality. No, it's not that way. Our de- Hear this. Our default is hell. Our default is hell. If we don't want to go to hell, we better do something to change. Because that's our default. Did you know when Noah built the ark, there was some incredibly strong, talented, good people that were outside the ark. Probably even nicer than Noah and his family. But did you know they drowned? Salvation didn't come in their goodness. It came in the ark. Jesus is the ark. If Jesus did rise from the dead, praise God, my past is not held against me. When I stand before the Lord, I'm not going to be running some screen picture of my life someday. If he were to ask me, why should I let you into my kingdom? I can't say anything in my past. All I can say is it's what Jesus Christ did for me, what he did for me. So my past would be held against me. But here's the second thing I thought about. My present circumstances, my present day of living, I'm doomed to failure. Because the best I have is what I am. And, and, and I can do some good things. I can compare myself to other people. But let me tell you, I have got some wounds that I've, I've, had, from, that I've had to deal with. I've had all of this stuff, these, these addictions that some of you deal with and are bound up in that I have. And we're thinking, we're thinking if I do not have the Spirit of Christ living in me that He rose from the dead, then I, I'm doomed to live in those things. Do I live in perfect freedom every day? I wish I did, but you know the bars I put up at that point are the bars I put up at that point. Because He has given me His Spirit to walk in freedom. And if He did not raise from the dead, that means that my flesh is what I depend on. It will kick my tail every time. I know have no power for good things. But if Jesus Christ did raise from the dead and His Holy Spirit is real, then that means I am no longer under the complete power of sin unless I choose to be. But He has given me His Spirit to walk in freedom. He has given me His Spirit that I don't have to live a life of defeat. I can live a life of victory. Because the Bible tells me this in Romans 8. Get this. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. I know some of you look at each other and you're thinking, man, I'm not sure that's what I thought it would look like. But I'm telling you, when we yield to Him, we see the incredible things that He can do, and He does them through us. So if Jesus did not raise from the dead, my past is still there. My present is hopeless. But here's one more. My future would not be set. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, my future 
if he died on that cross and didn't raise from the dead, let me tell you, I have no future. That means whatever he said about eternal life and, and beyond is, is not real because he was a liar. He, he, he would have just died on that cross as a liar. I, I would be bound just, I, I would be dust. I, I would just be nothing. Or maybe somebody else has got it right and we reincarnate. You know, we come back as an animal. I want to come back as our dog, man. That was, that was a great life. But truth is, if Jesus did not defeat death, I have no nothing beyond this. This is all there is. However, if I do believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, which I do, I believe He came to give not just eternal life, full life now, but He came to give me life eternal in His presence. I'm an heir of salvation. I have been promised these things according to God's Word, and they are promises to me. I, when I die, when I transition out of here, I will transition right into His presence. I believe that. My future is dictated on my faith and not my works. It's dictated upon His grace and not me. So my past would be held against me. My future would be, my, my present would be hopeless, and my future would not exist if Jesus did not raise from the dead. But I believe He did. But you see, if I believe all that, then I've got to believe one other thing too. It's this. I will one day stand in His presence. As He is King and Messiah, I will stand in His presence. And I don't want to stand on my own merit. Man, that's so weak. I mean, you think about it. If you had a judge and, and you killed that judge's son and now you're going to come stand before that judge, what would you tell him on an earthly level? I mean, I'm thinking we're talking about a kingdom. I, I'm just I'm totally dependent. I am totally dependent on what Jesus Christ has done for me. Here's my thought this morning, and then I want to share one other personal word with you. Have you responded to the gift that God has given you through Jesus Christ. Have you responded? I don't mean, are you just saying, yeah, I know the facts. Because it, Peter wasn't saying, I'm telling you this so that you get head knowledge. He said, I am telling you as this is a warning. Heed it. Hear what is being said here. Have you made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ? Are you walking in obedience in that life? Or, or can you say today that, yeah, Mark, I made that decision when I was, I was young and I was baptized and these kind of things. But, you know, it's just kind of been, been uh, kind of apathetic. I'm not really, really strong into that. I, I tell you, I, if I can just say this to you, I, listen, I do not know. I mean, isn't it crazy? I always read the headlines early Sunday morning just so that I don't walk into something that's totally oblivious. And to see that somebody blows up a car bomb in Aleppo and 100 people are killed just like that. Listen, we're not promised tomorrow. Is there something the Holy Spirit is just saying, listen, I, I want you to walk in obedience to just know me today. Let me, let me end with this. On April the 16th, 1967, 50 years ago today, to this very day, this very day, eight-year-old boy was sitting in a worship service in Waco, Texas, and he responded 
to the gospel call of walking down the aisle and telling the pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Fifty years ago today. And that was me. Fifty years ago today. I know some of you didn't think I was that old. <laughs> Fifty years ago today. I've struggled with this over the past months. I knew it was coming. You know what I asked myself? I thought, God, after 50 years of following you, is this what it should look like? Is this what it should be like? Because I'll be honest with you, in my skin, I still feel like I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Oh, yes, I believe that Christ loved me and he gave his life for me, but I still feel so weak. And and I still think, God, my prayer life is anemic sometimes at best. 50 years, is this what it's supposed to be like? And you know what the Lord just reminds me of in His sweetness of reminding me so? He doesn't let me remain the way I am. He's always working on me. But He says, Mark, the more you know me, actually the more you're going to want to get rid of that flesh, the more you're going to want to abide in my presence. Until one day you step out of here. And I tell you, I got some relief from the Apostle Paul. You know when the Apostle Paul first got saved and he started writing letters, he would say, Bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would... He would say these kind of things. But did you know his last writing, what he said? He said, I am the chief of sinners. I got some relief in that. And knowing that the, as long as I'm in this earth suit, there's going to be battle. But I, I have this promise. This isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. It's not. And so here's my word as we, as Brett and the team come. Where are you today? I want you to bow your heads with me, would you? I, I, I want to ask you to your core, are you walking close with Christ today? I mean, if something crazy were to happen, would you step out of here into eternity and, and, and not be set in that area? Would you not have come to that point of saying, Lord Jesus, it's my desire to follow you? to make you Lord of my life because you are Messiah and Lord whether I want to admit it or not. And someday I'm going to be in front of you. So Lord, today I make that faith step of taking my life and saying, here I am, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Let me ask you Christ followers in this room, and please hear me. I feel weak to even ask this sometimes, but is there some areas of disobedience you are walking in today? That you know that if you were to stand before the Lord just because of the light of who He is, that instead of admiration and love for Him, there might be guilt and shame. A a, a conviction. What I want to challenge you to do today is that we're going to have an altar call. Sounds old-fashioned, I know, but this is a call for you to come and do business with God. Come to these steps do business with God. Come to one of the elders or pastors or prayer team up here and just do business with God. The Lord's Supper is on my left. Come do business with God. This isn't about Mark. It's not about Brett and the team singing a good song. This is about you dealing with God.